Let us pray. O Lord, open our eyes to see what is beautiful, our minds to know what is true, and our hearts to love what is good. Amen. Well, our God is good and gracious, and he answers prayer. He answers our prayers. There's a nice example of that from the life of James, who wrote the epistle that we, we had read to us today. James lived and grew up in the same family as Jesus. He was the brother of Jesus. And yet he did not believe in him. How do you live and grow up in the same family as Jesus and, uh, and still not believe in him? It says something about the normal, how normal Jesus was as a child and a young man. But after his resurrection, the Lord Jesus visited James and James came to faith in Jesus. So let's keep on praying for our family and friends. It's a good reminder that uh, uh, we, uh, God is faithful and we can uh, trust him and um, he will be, uh, he is with us day by day. James probably wrote his letter within 15 or 10 years of the resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit. James stayed in Jerusalem and became a faithful uh, leader in the Jerusalem church. His letter was copied and taken all over the Roman Empire, uh, where, wherever there were Jews. It was taken to uh, synagogues of uh, believing Jews in the Roman Empire. And James knew from his own experience that though Christians are born uh, born again, they have new birth by God's word, we still have to battle with our own nature, which remains active. And the Christian life is a battle, but we grow as believers by hearing God's word, by receiving its truth, and living it out in our daily lives. As we receive God's word and put it into practice, we're doing what Jesus calls his disciples to do. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. One of our chief battlegrounds in the Christian life is to learn to use words well to control our tongues. James wrote, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Now, this is especially important as James as James uh, said, for teachers, for those who want to be teachers in the church, because teachers and preachers carry a special responsibility to pass on the word of God, to build up the church. And we're responsible to stick to the word of God, to stick to the true message of the gospel and not to wander off in our own speculations or our own ideas. 
But what we heard in our reading today is not just for teachers. It's for all of us. Our tongues can be used for good or for evil. To encourage and to strengthen one another, to build one another up or to tear down and destroy. The tongue is a very powerful uh, instrument. Satan came into the Garden of Eden as a snake and he misused the gift of language to show to sow in the hearts of Adam and Eve doubt in, in God's word and to lead them astray. Our tongues are very small, but they can boast great things. They have great power. Just as a little metal bit in the mouth of a horse can guide the whole horse in the direction the rider wants to go, our tongue is small but influential. Just as a large ship is steered by the pilot using a small rudder, we can use our words to get us to a safe harbour or to crash on the rocks. A small fire can give us welcome light and heat, or it can set a whole blaze, a forest ablaze, with destructive power, as we've seen in many of the television broadcasts recently of problems in different parts of the world. We need to be careful in our, in our use of words. The words we use can affect our relationship with God. Psalm 100, one of my favourites, encourages us, shout for joy to the Lord of all the earth worship the lord with gladness come before him with songs of praise enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise yes we are allowed lament as well we lament all the evils of the world and our own troubles and the the psalms are, are full of laments there are lots of them in the psalms where people cry out to God about injustice and uh, the need for God to intervene. And we can be honest with God about our sadness and remember with joy as well, all the good that we receive from his hands. I've sometimes been asked, why do we have to praise God? What is, what is it? Why is, what it, why is it important to worship God? Well, the implication in the question is, does God need praise like some pop star who, uh, who thrives on, uh, on the, the crowd's uh, cheers and, and applause and crumbles when, with, when adulation tails off and criticism comes? No, God doesn't need our praise. It's us who need to praise him for our own spiritual health. When we praise the Lord, we're putting ourselves in touch with the reality of who God is and who we are as his creatures in the world. The words we use affect our relationship with God, but they also affect our relationship with other people. St. Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly 
as you teach and admonish, admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart. Our ambition ought to be to use words to encourage one another, to build one another up with kind, affirming words, telling the truth, correcting where necessary, articulating a, a, a vision or inspiring hope. We don't use flattery to manipulate, but we can express our appreciation to others to let them know how much they're valued. We can speak of ourselves with a sober estimate of who we are rather than with any boastfulness or pride. Do our words bring healing and comfort? Do they bring welcome and restoration or division and dissension? In our daily experience, we don't always manage to say the right thing at the right time. We let that snippet of, gossip, of gossip or nastiness slip out, though we know we ought not to betray a confidence. We neglect to give thanks and praise when it's due. But James points out how unnatural it is that good and bad, blessing and cursing, come from the same mouth. Normally, a natural spring of water will either be sweet water or salty, but can't be both at the same time. A fig tree cannot bear olives and a grapevine cannot bear figs. And James asks, how can we use our mouths to express, to bless God our Father, to sing his praises and soon after be cursing the people made in God's image? Well, he says it shouldn't be like that. There's a good example in our gospel reading of how even the most eminent apostle, Peter, tripped himself up when he opened his mouth. Jesus asked the 12 apostles the question, who do you say that I am? Peter was the spokesman for the group and he says, you're the Christ, you're God's anointed, you're the King and Saviour. Peter had got it right, well done Peter. And now the apostles had to learn what kind of Messiah Jesus is going to be. And Jesus started to teach them, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. This was completely a new thing for the apostles and for the Jewish people. The Jews had anticipated that the Messiah would be the king, but they hadn't understood that the Messiah would also be the suffering servant. Poor Peter, Jesus was turning their expectations upside down with this new revelation. And Peter took Jesus aside and tried to persuade him not to follow the path of the cross, but to take another path to kingly glory. Peter would be saying things like, what does Messiah have to do with defeat? You need to be our king. I'm sure that Peter's intention was good. 
What a shock it must have been to hear Jesus say to him, out of my sight, Satan, get behind me, Satan. Jesus had been tempted by Satan in the garden in just the same way to abandon God's path of service and sacrifice. And now his leading disciple was being used to bring pressure to bear on Jesus to abandon his mission and to save his uh, and to abandon his uh, mission to save his people from their sins. The beautiful thing about Peter, this giant of the early church, was though he often made mistakes, he had the humility to learn and the determination to follow Jesus, even if it meant that he would have to go to the cross himself, which in the end he did. And I remind myself that Mark's gospel is Mark's record of Peter's preaching. So when we read this story in Mark's gospel, it's Peter telling this story of his blunders against himself. I think he knew that many of us would have the same kind of problems that he had. And this story is there to remind us that there is room for us too in the kingdom of heaven. Those of us who have, who are conscious of our shortcomings, there is room for us in the kingdom of God. It's an encouragement to us. The crowds who had been following Jesus were happy to be associated with a famous and successful leader. Jesus called the crowd to him. He's spoken to his 12 apostles separately. Now he speaks to the crowd. And Jesus called the crowd to him and gave them a new and stark challenge. If anyone will come after me, he just must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We're told in the gospel that hearing this, many of the crowd turned back and went home. This was not what they'd come looking for, but turning back was not the way into the God's kingdom. Jesus continued, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. It's like that hymn we just uh, sung, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Now, I can't develop all that it means to take up our cross today. But how does taking our, up our cross relate to what James is teaching us about the words we use? James is honest about how difficult it is to get perfect control of our tongues. You get the impression when you read the Acts of the Apostles that he was in charge of a very argumentative church. <laughs> we make mistakes. We tell a bad joke. There are words that are spoken in anger. There are wrong words in the wrong place. And once you've launched out your speech, you can't put it back in the box. It's like sending an email. It's gone. It's there. 
as we saw on our screen earlier, it can be forgiven, but not forgotten. It's there. Fortunately for Christians, there is forgiveness. The possibility of repentance and reconciliation and denying ourselves, taking up our cross, means not hanging on to our pride or our fear. Losing our life is really a picture of entrusting our lives to Jesus. He will keep us. He will keep for us what we are not able to keep for ourselves if we trust our lives to his care, if we allow him to be our leader and to set our agenda. Taking up our cross means allowing the pride that easily takes offence to die. Allowing the fear that hides behind boasting or gossip or putting other people down or lying to be replaced instead by love and faith. The Holy Spirit of God is at work in our lives is at work in us. And when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, let's agree with him. I think this is a very practical thing that I'm, I'm finishing with. There's something we can do to help this Holy Spirit do his work in us. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, let's agree with him. Let's confess our shortcomings in detail to God. The general confession that we say in our church services is good. But, but when we talk over in detail with the Lord our God, in our prayers, the Holy Spirit has a better chance to work with us and to help us to change and to be more like Jesus when we actually confess our sins in detail to God and uh, receive his forgiveness. We have this much, the uh, Holy Spirit has a much better chance to work with us and to help us to become like the Lord Jesus. So we bow our heads for a prayer. We thank you, Father, for your grace and patience with us. We need your Holy Spirit's help to learn to control our tongues because our blunders, our faulty speech destroys and divides our relationships. Help us, Lord, to be instruments of your peace in our families, in the world and in the church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, Peter, for this very inspiring message. Will you now please lead us in the creed? Do you believe and trust in God the Father, source of all being and life, the one for whom we exist? We believe and trust in him. Do you believe and trust in God the Son, who took our human nature died for us and rose again, we believe and trust in him. Do you believe and trust in God the Holy Spirit, 
who gives life to the people of God and makes Christ known in the world. We believe and trust in him. This is the faith of the church. This is our faith. faith. We believe and trust in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.